Hey, I'm not sure if you brought your Bibles, but if you did, uh, get them out uh, or swipe across on your device of choice, because uh, I've got a, a feast of the Word of God for you today, which is only appropriate as we talk about Christmas. Someone that will be known to many of you is a writer called Brene Brown. Brene Brown says this, we are a culture of people who've bought into the idea that if we stay busy enough, the truth of our lives won't catch up with us. She then says, crazy busy is an armor that we wear. It's a great way for numbing ourselves. And in this message, I want to speak about Advent, and I want to speak about the need we have for peace, but I would begin with these quotes because I'd like to say to you that being busy is the enemy of peace, and peace is what we need the most. Being busy is the enemy of peace, and peace is what we need the most. The reality is, if you look at your life or you look at the life of your neighbor, you'll see that the world is fighting against itself constantly, and we, as participants in the world, I reckon we're our own worst enemy. And I'm going to make a confession shortly because you know that I'm one of the worst. But we've always made busy the enemy of peace. We've, as a human race, we've always made our lives so full that we neglect what's vital for us. And, and this became, busyness, the tyranny of busyness, became such an issue for the church that church leaders got together to do something about it. They'd had, they had to. Because they could see people destroying their lives with busyness. And, and as a church leader, you know, um, I know that we like to get together and think about how can we be a good shepherd? How can we provide guidelines? How can we provide a framework for helping people? And so church leaders got together to help their faith community to destroy the work of busyness and to bring Jesus back to the center. When was this? It was in the fourth century. In the fourth century, life was so busy for people that church leaders were concerned about the condition of their soul. Now, you might be thinking, because I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, well, what has the fourth century really got to do with my life right now? I mean, it's out of date. It's not relevant. They didn't even um, have uh, the technology that we've had, so how could they be busy? Because there was no Netflix. But the, the truth of the matter is, the condition of the human nature draws us to filling our lives. If there's a void, we fill it. Kathy, one of the things Kathy, one of the things Kathy doesn't enjoy about my nature is that on my way somewhere, I'll do three things on the way. Richard Titty, do you know what that's like? Yeah, Bronwyn Titty feels the pain because Richard will have five appointments on the way to his actual appointment. And I'm the same. That's why they go in separate cars usually. But especially this time of year, I've noticed that I increase my pace, I try and increase my output because I want to cram stuff in so the end of the year is what I would, what I would call successful. And in doing so, my confession to my family is that I often miss the moments of the season because I'm busy. We get a countdown calendar filled with mysteries, chocolate, candy, or liquor, 
And we get excited about the countdown number instead of getting excited about the Lamb of God who became the devotion of the shepherds. We prepare for Christmas and we get engaged in Christmas parties and dinners and shopping and planning our summer. We look forward to the time where we might not be working. Maybe we look for the time we don't have to take a shower or put pants on. But we get so distracted. We get so distracted that we don't go on a journey to find the baby king who the shining star points to. We focus on the other side of Christmas and we avoid our preparation inside. We avoid the preparation of our hearts for he who is the key reason for the season. We line our kids up to see a fat man in a red suit. We put gifts under the tree for everybody. And we forget about the child in the manger. This is the tyranny of busy. And what, so my question to you is, what do you fill December with? What have you been focused on this month? What has taken your attention? Because today it's time to center our attention on Jesus. The title of my message for today, it's all about Advent. And thanks to Carla for helping me, because uh, this is not my handiwork. But the title of the message is, Allow Advent to Make an Indent. Allow Advent to make an indent. So let's talk about Advent because there's a history lesson required. In the 4th century, church leaders came together because they were concerned about the condition of their flock and they created a liturgical process called Advent. So it's not, it's not something that the Bible told them to do, it's just something they decided to do and it became a tradition and it's still observed today. The word Advent comes from a Latin term, Adventus, which literally means coming. So we're going to look at the coming of Jesus. The word Adventus in Latin is a translation of the Greek word which is in Scripture, parousia, which means the presence, arrival, or an official visit. There's a king that's coming to our midst. So what I see in history is the invent of Advent sets for us a precedent. The Advent season is a time of reading Scripture, preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. I mean, we know because we read it in the story that Jesus has come. We know because we read it in the narrative that Jesus will come again. Advent is about preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of a baby who will come again as a king. And that's what we're going to do today. Advent is about pausing to remember the birth of Christ our Savior and the second coming of Christ our King. I found this prayer online and I want to pray it, so let's pray it together. God of hope, I look to you with an open heart and an open spirit. During this Advent season, help me to keep awake and alert for you listening for your word and keeping your word in my heart. My hope, Lord, is in you. Amen. The truth is, not everybody gets to celebrate Advent because busy people miss it. Busy people don't slow down enough to pause and reflect. So the busyness of life is what robs us from the opportunity to make Jesus the reason for the season. 
What I found is if I move too fast in life, I miss the details. And in missing the details, I miss the moments with him. You may have heard of a a German pastor, a theologian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this. Pay attention to what he says. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. In this season, our prayer needs to be, he must increase, but I must decrease. So, so what is Advent? We're going to unpack it today and we're going to participate together with the scriptures. Advent usually happens over five, five, five gatherings and we're going to do it in one. But the point is to show you not so much the advent, but to show you what you're preparing yourself for. And, and each candle, there's five candles here. Normally you'd light one each week. We're going to light them today, and each candle will point us to something that we can take hold of in the story. The first candle is called the candle of hope. And so we would trust a responsible adult to... Light the first candle. First candle is hope. The second candle is preparation. The third candle is joy, and the fourth candle is love. I'm going to give you names for the candles uh, because I really find that that each candle we can reflect on, but it points us to something in the story. The candles are different colors, and I'll explain that as we go. The first candle I want to talk about. I've called the hope of a promise. The key discipline that the church leaders wanted their people to embrace was hope. And so I've called this candle the hope of a promise. And if you've got your Bibles or your writing notes, I want you to look for Isaiah chapter 9. It's, um, it's a well-known, commonly read story, uh, sorry, promise at this time of year, but I want to point you to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 first. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then we move down to verses 6 and 7, most commonly known at Christmas. For unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
Here is a promise given some 700 years before Christ came to earth. And the, the word of God came to say, there will be one who will come. You can have hope in this promise. What I want to do as we journey through the candles is I want to also point you to the Christmas story, uh, which you know well. And so I want to, I want to bounce into the story uh, because you can see hope in the characters of the story. And I always find it useful in the Bible readings to, to connect with one of the characters that I'm reading about. Well, there's plenty of characters in the Christmas story. And the first person that I want us to look at is young Mary the young girl who became the mother of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you the encounter that she had with the angel from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Does that sound familiar? We just read that in Isaiah. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. What hope comes from this story? And this hope is what gives us faith. Hope that's received and, 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 and grabbed hold of leads us to faith. I wonder what you might take from this aspect of the story in the candle we'd call hope. When I read the story, I notice there's an angelic visitation. That's not usual. It's not something that I've experienced. But I believe in this time we're coming to a place where God will send his messengers to his people who are open to receive from him. Maybe an angel will visit you. I mean, imagine that. Sitting under a tree eating an apple. Maybe you're sitting in a cafe drinking latte. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you're even asleep. And an angel of the Lord comes to visit you. Let's anticipate this. But what God is showing us is, as it says in verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And I have always admired the devotion of Mary, a young girl, knowing the consequences of her yes 
she still was devoted to yes, knowing she could be rejected, knowing she could be despised, knowing she could forever be an outcast, and yet she said, your word is my yes. Come on, here's the thing for you guys. What God will promise, God will conceive. It's coming back to that prophetic message I gave you earlier. What are the promises, whether they be scripture or personal prophecies, for what God has promised, he will conceive. Let us not allow circumstances, circles of influence, or controlling forces to rob you of hope. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You can say amen if you agree. The second candle is also purple. And we light the second candle. And this is what I've called it. Preparation means waiting expectantly. This is often called the candle of prophecy or the candle of preparation. But I've added the word expectancy. For if you promised something, would you not wait expectantly for it? Of course. And, and there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. The rough places made smooth. Come on, the Lord's speaking to you. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As I've been meditating on these scriptures, I'm seeing promise after promise that we can lay hold of for today. For me, as I was reading this this morning, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now, if that's a promise, then I need to wait expectantly for it. I need to anticipate what God is saying, and I need to walk into it. Why is that? Because here's a phrase for you. The word of the Lord creates your world. The word of the Lord creates your world. Did not God say, let there be light, and there was Light, did not God say, let there separate the darkness from the light and there be day and night? Did not God say, a child shall be born and his name shall be called Emmanuel and he was conceived? The word of the Lord creates your world. What is the word of the Lord for your world? What is the word of the Lord for your walk? I'm calling you back to what has God said to you. And the Christmas story is a brilliant example of how we can prepare ourselves expectantly for the promises of God. I see this reflected in the encounter between Mary uh, and Elizabeth when she visits her. Look what happens in Luke chapter 1, when, uh, verse 39, when Mary goes to Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. These guys are related. They're family. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. This is a radical, radical passage of Scripture. If if, if anything you take hold of today, grab this. This is a key moment of expectantly waiting for all those things God had promised some 700 years ago. These young women, no, Elizabeth isn't young. These women who were Jews knew the Scripture and they knew the promise. And here Elizabeth prophesies over Mary that which she doesn't know in the natural. I mean, there's no Facebook. Mary wasn't putting up an Insta story going, hey guys, an angel just visited and I think I'm pregnant. She didn't know. And it says with haste, which means possibly she had only just literally this week conceived by the Holy Spirit. She travels to be with Elizabeth. She walks in the door and the moment, the moment she hears the voice of Mary, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what I notice in the scripture. Elizabeth is filled by the Holy Spirit because her baby leaps with joy. That says to me the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit and the mother got the benefit. And actually, that was already promised to Zacharias when he was in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, tending in the temple. Remember, he had an angelic encounter. An angel goes, Yo, bro, have a baby. And he's like, Whatever. And angel goes, no, serious, you will. And look, Luke chapter 1 verse 15, the angel said this, for he, talking about John, well, what will be John the Baptist, he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And so Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit as a blessing of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, as an answer to prayer, she wasn't even praying. Because I can promise you, Zacharias didn't tell her. How can I promise you that? Because he can't talk. The angel made him mute. And you will be mute, it says in the Scripture, until these things are fulfilled. So, so God will answer your prayers even if you're not praying them. Come on, tell me, someone take that as hope for today. An anticipation of God doing something great in your life. For some of you, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit through children, through the mouth of babes. We've had that in prayer meetings, that the ministry of children will be a blessing to parents and grandparents in this house. For the time is coming when the Spirit of God will no longer choose between young and old, but will move through those who are willing. This is what God says. We're going to see more of that. And the one thing I'd point to is the scripture that I read at the beginning of our gathering, the Magnificat of Mary is a song of praise. Let me say this, prophetic ministry always leads to God being praised. That's why we honor the prophetic in this church. It's not about, hey, look who said what. Oh, well, look, it's it's like a fortune telling and I get a cookie at the end of it. Not the point. Prophetic ministry honors, honors God and when God is honored, God is glorified and we are forced to praise him. Second candle, preparation with anticipation. The third candle 
is pink. And pink, they tell me, is the color of joy. So they say. So we color this candle pink. It's called the shepherd's candle because we're going to see joy found in the promise to the shepherds when it was revealed to them the babe had come. Joy. And if you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 35, all of it, Isaiah 35. And for the sake of time, I'm trying to decide whether I want to read it, but there's 10 verses. So go home and read Isaiah 35. It's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, to be fair. But in it, there's a promise of joy. Joy is promised. And I'll read to you Isaiah 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Is that not a promise of the joy of the shepherds for us today? Come on. Read Isaiah 35. There's good news in that. But God would say the redeemed shall come. The ransomed of the Lord shall return to Zion with singing, because singing is an outflowing of joy, joy that is given to us by God himself. Is that okay? Are you willing to try and be joyful this season? God will help you. I want to point you to the story of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. The, the shepherds were tending their flocks. There's a reason why they were living in the fields because it was a time of fruitfulness and, and, and they, say, they say it was a time where they needed to be attentive so they were sleeping there. But listen to what happens. Look, there's another angel that turns up in Luke 2, verse 8, in the same country. Shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Was that not just promised in the Scriptures, that glory would come? Man, I'm waiting for it. And the angels were greatly, uh, sorry, the, the shepherds were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. A choir of angels saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill toward all men. And so it was. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all of those who heard it marveled at those things as they were told them by the shepherds. Here we have another angelic visitation. I'm anticipating some of you coming up in the time of testimony and saying, let everybody know an angel visited me and gave a message for the people. Come on. We've got to have an anticipation that what God has done, he will do again. And, and look, he chose a young girl under a tree. He chose the shepherds in a field. Don't you dare say he wouldn't choose you. 
Perhaps this is the time for people to see angels. Verse 10, glad tidings of great joy will be to all people. That's a good word. We can wipe the scowl off our face. We can wipe the furrow off our brow because joy is for all people. The joy of the Lord is for all people. Let's not miss making the connections here too. In this part of the story, I, I, I noticed that the, the great shepherd heralds in the birth of the good shepherd by telling the story to glad shepherds. So it's a key part of why we would want to even begin to have a relationship with Christ as our Savior. Because a great shepherd sent a good shepherd so we can be glad. But sometimes I wonder if we really want to be sheep of the good shepherd. Do we follow his voice? Or do we cut our own trail? That's the difference between sheep and goats. Sheep follow the shepherd. If you're taking notes, Ezekiel 34. I, I want you to hear the word of God today because God is wanting to explain how these pieces come together. Ezekiel 34 verse 11, God says this. Thus says God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Is that not a word for our nation in this time? God says, I will come and I will search out my sheep in a place that is dark. I will feed them in good pasture. Their fold shall be on a high mountain of Israel. You know what the high mountain of Israel is called? It's called Zion, the place, the dwelling place of God. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. I will bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. I will destroy the fat and feed them in my judgment. Come on. God wants to be our shepherd. God wants to bring the sheep back into the fold because he desires to have those he has called to be with him. God says he wants to be a shepherd. But then... Why are we surprised when his son says the same thing? The great shepherd makes a promise of the good shepherd. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10 verse 2, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Come on, God wants to be our shepherd. God wants us to follow his voice. God wants us to have joy as we celebrate this candle, the shepherd's candle who received joy. Because the promise was joy and glad tidings for all people. As we prepare our hearts for Christmas, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus, we want to have hope, we want to prepare expectantly, we want to have joy in our hearts for what is coming. And fourthly, we want to have adoration for our King. 
there are three purple candles. This is the third purple candle. So now all three purple candles are lit. Purple is a color of royalty. Purple is a sovereign color. The purple candle represents the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus. And I've titled it Adoration for Our King. In simple terms, this candle is just called love. But I've titled it Adoration for Our King. Christ was promised as a king by the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, God says this, But you, Bethlehem and Ephrathah, through you, though you are little, sorry, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old to everlasting. Therefore she, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one, Jesus, shall be peace. This is a time where we come. It's a prophecy that we should see as a promise of Christ our King, one that we should adore. And the best example of that in the Christmas story is the wise men who traveled to find the King. They were willing to prepare themselves a long time early and travel not a short distance to come and adore the King. Matthew chapter 2. There's a couple of different sections there. You'll read this. I'm sure you'll read the Christmas story this week. But it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Now Herod wasn't happy about that. So he goes about massacring children. But in verse 9, the wise men, the magi, the wise men of the east, when they heard what the king said, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened up their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know what I love about the wise men, the magi, is that they followed the star in hope and anticipation of a king they would find but they hadn't seen photographic evidence. There was no confirmation that they were following a star for the right reasons. They had this journey they went on. And as I reflect on this, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm stirring myself to be careful because sometimes we won't go on a journey unless we know the destination. Sometimes we won't do a job for God unless we get our terms met first. Our obedience is not always, yes, Lord, our obedience is yes, but. 
or only if, or mm, no, I'm not sure. And I'm challenged by that. If the Lord says go, he says go. You, so what I've learned in my life, which I try and apply, and I say this so you can hold me to it, is I'm, I've learned, I'm trying to give up my right to have the why question answered first. I've got to give up the right to have questions answered before I say yes. Well, then if, if that's not the case, then it's not lordship. The wise men in the East are a beautiful example of someone who said yes without knowing the why. They didn't even know the when. They didn't even know the where. They had to follow a star. And yet they come. They come to adore the king. They bow and they worship him. What I love about them is they'd already prepared gifts to bring him. They'd already packed in their bags an offering for the king they didn't even know existed. Well, they assumed he did. And I wonder, what do you prepare to bring before Jesus in advance? Because, you know, like, we're pretty good at giving gifts when we're told to. The Lord says, give an offering. We grumble and then we give an offering or we say, yes, Lord, and we, we shout someone a coffee or the Lord says, send money to so-and-so and we say, mm, okay, and we do it. So, so, so we can be good at following instructions. But what about preparing in advance? God, I've prepared a gift and I don't know why, but I'm excited because I'm hopeful that I'm going to worship you as I give this gift and I'm doing it without knowing what it looks like at the other end. That's exciting. And we bring a gift. We bring our offerings. Some of us bring finances. We bring our tithes to the church in an act of worship. Some of us would bring frankincense, our, our attitudes. Some would bring myrrh. But you know what Jesus really wants? He wants our heart. That's the best gift. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory of his Father. With his angels. Look, there's the promise again. Glory and angels. And he will reward each according to their work. See, what I had hoped today is that Advent, as we prepare our focus towards Christ, is that we would actually set our hearts on him. For what does it profit a whole man if he gains the world and yet loses his soul? And finally, we light the white candle. The final candle is white. White means light, purity, regeneration, and godliness. Christ is the perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world, spotless and without blemish, the word of God says. I have named this candle, Christ has come. Christ has come. Jesus is the spotless lamb, the pure savior. He's light in the darkness. He's radiant in his glory. If you read the end of the story in Revelation, you'll see Christ, the victorious king, coming resplendent in a white robe. 
radiant with a gold sash. He is Christ who has come, and he is the Christ who will come. And speaking of light, as we would with our candles, I couldn't help but turn to John chapter 1. And I wrote about this for the paper, uh, for the Christmas message. And I think I'm going to speak about it on Christmas Day, because it's something that's stirring me, is that Christ is the light in a dark world. He is the light, capital L, capital L. He is the light in a dark world. John came to bear witness, it says, witness of the light, that through him all might believe. The true light is Jesus, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. They were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor will of the man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is only the begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus then later, recorded by John in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Friends, as we focus on Advent, as we focus on Christ who has come, and will come again. If we follow his light, we will not walk in darkness. Wherever you're at in your journey regarding what's happened this year, what might happen next year, how you're feeling, how you're traveling, what your circumstances are, may you know Christ is the light in a dark world. If I can get the band to come back on stage, we're going we're gonna to take a moment to respond with song. But before we do that, I want you to know that today my desire has been to draw us around the, the practice of Advent, to light five candles, to remember what those candles could signify to us, and slowing ourselves down, but slowing ourselves down in order to put Christ on the throne of our lives. Look, the truth is our world is in chaos. Our world has got a whole bunch of stuff going on that it can't explain, and the truth is no one really knows what they're doing right now. We haven't been this way before in this time. Our world is in chaos, but our world needs the hope that is found in Jesus. That's the ultimate answer. The light that came into the darkness is Christ. The light that would shine into their world is Christ. But I would say, as Jesus did, may we be the light of the world. May we be the message of Christ in this time. May we be the ones who would slow our lives down. May we be the ones who would remove our distractions that Christ would be not just Savior, but He would be Lord of our lives in order that we would center our attention on Him. Because when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, His peace will rule and reign. I'd like to invite you to stand. I'd like to invite you to join the band and this song was chosen that we would have it as a prayer on our lips that we would have the song as a confession of our dedication to Christ 
So I invite you to sing this song as a prayer of confession. Thanks, team.